So I was at the event last night, and uh, somebody was that was there visiting said, well, how long have you done this event? And I said, well, this is our first year doing it. We've never done it before. Uh, we were in construction last year, um, so it's been great to be able to do it. And I helped out with a couple of the um, a couple of the crafts and been banned from crafts for the next year. Um, it's a one-year ban. I'm hoping that uh, two years I'll be back involved with the crafts, but uh, things didn't go well in the craft area for me. Um, <laughs> you know, our series is talking about more, 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 and um, the American dream is more. It's having that, that beautiful house in the perfect neighborhood with a great yard and the wonderful neighbors. It's, um, and you know, it, it, it's having the, 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 the powerful job in this uh, growing, successful company. It's, um, it's having this, this healthy and loving family where the, everybody loves each other and cares for each other and the kids always make a good choice. And uh, the parents always are the, the model parents and, and, res, and respond accordingly. And, and we have enough to not only pay the bills, but to go on vacations. And it's not when or where or if. It's what do we want to do this year? Where do we want to go this year? Or it's having health so that we are living into our 80s and we are active within our 80s. We're able to jog and, and, and do whatever we want and we're mobile in that. That's the American dream. How's that working out for you? Because I've got to be honest with you. It, it, and the idea there is when you arrive, when you get this house and the job and the family and, 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 and all these things, the health and all of that stuff, when you finally get all of that, which most of us can say, eh, I'm not getting that, not there yet. But when you get that, you'll say, now I'm content. Now I have enough. I'm there. For many, the American dream, this more, 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 is, is unattainable. It's, it's, it's just not happening. And uh, not many of us are living that dream. Even if you have, you know, I've seen people who have beautiful houses. Their families are just at war. They need all the rooms in their houses so they can separate. Um, I mean, it, it, it's, I've seen people who have beautiful, you know, great jobs, but they struggle with interpersonal communication and Stuff like that. And jo- that work has become a burden, not a joy. I've, I know people who have more than enough money, but are just really light on relationships. I mean, when they come to the holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas, it becomes very apparent. They have a lot of money, but really not a lot else. So the question is, how do we find contentment? Because so often we're told contentment comes when you have wealth and you have power and you have all these things. But the thing about this, you know, just take wealth, for example, take money, for example. The problem with money is that no matter where, you're, where you are in the economic ladder, there's always somebody. You don't look at people who are below you. You always look at people who are above you. And you can always say, you know, I, I, I'm OK now or I'd be better if I was there. If I was there, if I was two rungs up that ladder, man, then I would be content. But you know what's going to happen when you get two rungs up that ladder? There's going to be someone else two rungs up the ladder, and you're going to say, no, I'm doing okay, but two more rungs. Just give me two more rungs, right? Uh, If you make a million dollars in the year, you say, boy, a million dollars is plenty. 
But after a couple years of a million dollars, you say two million would be better. Five would even be best. Right? I mean, it's, it's always more. It's always more. The more we get, though, here's the problem. The more we get, the more we desire. The point is, no matter where you land, somebody looks as if they've landed better than you. And you view their lives uh, oftentimes very quickly. You know, you suddenly glance at them and you see what they have, not what's really happening in their lives. And you almost say, man, if I had their life. But you don't know what their life is. If you knew it, you may say, no, thank you. I, I'm, I'm okay. And if contentment is about having enough, will we ever reach the place called enough? And I'm going to propose to you, and you already know this, that that's probably never going to come. I think we're in a no-win, vicious cycle where we'll always desire more, no matter how much we have. No matter how much we have, we're always going to want more. Here's what the Bible has to say about contentment. Contentment comes when we balance our needs with our wants. We do this to our kids, right? We say, I know you want that, but you don't need that, right? Many times that's right at the register because they put all the cool stuff for kids at the lower level where they can reach them. And, you, and, and your, your son or daughter will say, Mom, I need this. You go, no, <laughs> nice try, but no, that's not true. I know that... Uh, the people who do the marketing want you to feel that way, but that's not true. We'll turn to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have these chair Bibles. And I gave you an assignment last week, and many of you went to the website, you downloaded the app, you started reading and listening. Many of you, are, <laughs> it's fun to hear this, many of you are listening to the Bible and you're going, man, this is cool. It's like I get more out of it. I can iron and do it at the same time. And, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. okay. You can do multiple things while you're listening to the scripture. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. But many of you downloaded that. So I'm glad we, you know, that you're taking advantage of the tools that we have. So 1 Timothy 6, chapter 6, verse 6, uh, page 912. Paul gives us God's word tonight, this weekend, the Kennedy campus, the Roshik campus, God gives us his word. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we leave, uh, if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to, fall, uh, long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things, pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance and gentleness fight the good fight for the true faith hold tight to the to the eternal life to which god has called you which you have confessed so well before many witnesses and i charge you before god who gives life to all and before christ jesus who gave a good testimony before pontius pilate that you obey this command without wavering 
then no one can find fault with you from now on until our Lord Jesus comes again. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only Almighty God, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He alone can never die and lives in light so the brilliance that no human uh, so brilliant that no human can approach him no human eye has ever seen him nor ever will all honor and power to him forever amen and then he says teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up treasure as as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. So Paul is basically essentially the the gist of this passage is Paul is saying that trying to find contentment in possessions and money and more is a trap. Specifically, he talks about money. And then he says in verse 10, and you know this verse, you've heard people misquote it. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's one of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible. And people generally misquote it as money is the root of all evil. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it's a very, very, it's a very different uh, interpretation. And the Bible has a lot of positive things about wealth and money, about people who are rich and people who have acquired wealth. It's a lot of positive things. The Bible has a lot of things. Uh, The rich, in fact, in our passage in verse 18, they're not chided for being rich. What are they told? They're told to be rich in good works and generous to those in ease, always be ready to share with others. In other words, they're saying use the resources that God has given you and allocate them to others who have needs. So if God has given you more than you need, he's probably going to give you more than you need to help someone else, not to spend on yourself. But God blessed many people in the Bible with great wealth. Abraham was very rich. Job was very rich. David and Solomon, for examples. But Paul does say that that money is a trap. The word here for trap is this idea of a bird trap, that you can get snared in it, and you don't even know you're, you know, you, before you know it, you're, you're trapped, you're caught. It's uh, and, and so how do we become trapped by money? And I think there's a few things that Paul points out in this passage. The first one is that money can make you arrogant. Money can make you proud. It can make you arrogant. Notice what he says in verse 17. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, nor to trust in their money. See, money can give you an unrealistic view of yourself and your condition. It can. Uh, Money can cause you to feel safe, in control, on top of things, not dependent on anyone or anything. That's what money can do. The good thing about money is it can bring you a certain amount of security. The bad thing about money is it, bring you, it can bring you a certain amount of security. <laughs> um, money can bring you freedom. It can bring you independence, which can lead you to become less and less dependent upon God. That's one of the dangers of money. That's one of the dangers of wealth is that you say, I don't need to worry about this. I don't need to lean on this. I don't have to pray about this. I don't, I've got everything I need. 
Do you remember the man, uh, Jesus told this story about the man who was, had great wealth and he, he, he was a, a farmer and he had har- his harvest was just through the roof to the point that he filled his barns and he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to build bigger barns. And, and God said, you fool, tonight you're done, you're gone, you're, you're off this planet. No, God, wasn't, God was not uh, chiding the man for being rich. What he was chiding the man for was, you're trusting in this rather than me. You're making plans and you're not even consulting me. You're not saying, hey, God, why am I being blessed so much? Do you have a plan for all of this? Do you have a, an idea of what you want to do here? It was none of that. It was more for me, more for me. See, so that's why Paul says that craving riches have wounded, have, have, uh, craving riches, many have wandered from the true faith. Going after riches. The point is, you reach a place where you feel you don't need God for anything. You say, well, I mean, I don't have to pray about this. I'll pay for it. <laughs> you know, I'll take care of it. Um, we, we become less dependent upon God. Now, does that mean you should shall, sell all your wealth and go live as a hermit somewhere? Well, some people have taken that view, and I don't think that's necessarily, I'm sure that's not what this passage is about. Uh, but what I do say, what Paul is warning us, is that when we amass wealth, when we amass money, when we say we have to have more, and if we have more, we'll feel more secure, more content, uh, it's a trap, and you will never get there. Now, this, this in turn, this attitude of uh, you, you, when you get to the place where you say, well, I don't know if I, and you would never say it out loud, but you, practically speaking, you, you behave as though you don't need God for anything, right? This, in turn, can lead us to an attitude of self-justification. You feel justified for, for, for God. You say, well, look, it, I'm doing so much better financially. I must be smarter. I must be, you know, God is blessing me. I, 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 uh, you may not even see God blessing you. You may see yourself being just smart, making smart uh, decisions and wise decisions. And look at, and, and so you become good enough. Uh, you, you be, you, you're so smart. You're so intelligent. You say, look at what I've done for myself. It's kind of like the man with the barns, that attitude. So you become proud. You come to the place where you say, well, um, I'm good enough. I don't need anyone's help for anything. And actually, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not a bad person. And, uh, and by, by fault, the default, what you're saying is I'm not so bad that I need a savior. Um, you become overconfident. You lose your humility and teachability. And that's why Paul warns the rich not to become proud. One of the traps of money is it leads to pride. Okay, secondly, money can turn luxuries into necessities. When you don't have a lot, uh, you basically say, if I have food and clean water and a place to stay and clothing, um, boy, you know, God bless, you know, I'm, I'm so blessed. But most of us in this room, most of us, most people in America would say, well, that's, that's, that's a given. Um, we would say, um, that's, that's, uh, that's something we expect. It's not something that we, we would say is a necessity. Those are necessities. But what I found is when you acquire more and you get to a new level, you basically look at those new level things as necessities. They're no, more, no longer luxury. In other words, when you're, you're there and you say, we have, uh, enough, uh, we have enough food for today, we have enough food for this week, and then you get to the point where you get to the place where you have cupboards full of food. You say, well, that's a necessity now. I don't ever want to go to a place where I'm wondering uh, where, where, if I'm going to have enough for the week. 
and you get further and further down that road very quickly. Um, for instance, and this, this can come in many ways, and so, so I'm going to start stepping on toes literally. Well, not literally, but kind of, almost. You'll see. So how, how nice does your house have to be? You may have been raised in a home where you had eight people in one bathroom. But now you live in a home and you have three bathrooms and four people, and you would say, well, I could never live in a house with one bathroom. It's just not big enough, right? Or you talk about your clothes, ladies, I'm going to go there. Some of you say, um, your shoes, I need a new pair of shoes. These are a couple of weeks old. <laughs> some of you are, some of you are going to be really mad at me. You're going, no, don't go there, please. <laughs> but you know what? I have boys. I, I had one of my boys who was coming for the turkey bowl and he, he has a new pair, he had a new pair of uh, spike spuds or whatever. And they were like gold, painted gold on the bottom. And he was handing around the boys and looking, wow, those are so cool. And I'm sitting there going, what am I going to wear? <laughs> it doesn't matter. But here's the point. It's not just women with shoes. It's guys with sneakers. It's clothes. It's do I have enough? You know, Carol and I just took bags and bags of clothes some that people gave to us some that we've amassed over the years to the goodwill and you look at it and you go did we really need all this stuff my point is sometimes uh, sometimes the things we saw as luxuries now become necessities I have to have that now I'll give you an illustration Uh, so uh, a couple years ago I had to fly out because my son was was injured in a, a soccer game in Canada, so um, somebody here in the church helped me, and I was able to fly out to to go and kind of basically he uh, had a ruptured appendix, and so it was you know it was pretty serious stuff, and so um, I went out there, but they helped me with get on a flight, and so I flew first class for the first time in my life. Now, I've flown a lot, but I haven't flown first class. I mean, I, I got on, and I flew out there first class, and I f- flew back. I, I cannot fly coach anymore. I will, I, I will, yeah, I had more leg room than I knew what to do with. I had the hot towel. I had, I mean, there's no way. I can't, I can't go back to, I can't go back to coach. I can't do it. Ride in a car? Are you kidding me? No way. Do you see the point? This is how it happens. It's just, no, I'm kidding, obviously. <laughs> but see, money can take desires and drives and amp them up. Desires become like a, like, you know, it's almost like taking a drug. You, the first time you take it, you get a, a, an incredible high. And then after a while, you have to amp it up. And, and, and you have to take two or three times as much. And you're, you're, I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, Man, is this experience from your past? And so let me put that disclaimer on. No, I've never been, uh, you know, I've never been like, hi, I'm sorry. I'm, for some of you, you go, okay, now I can't relate to you. All right, I've never been high. I've never been drunk. I just haven't. I just have, haven't figured. I never really got, saw the point of it. And I had friends that got high and drunk around me. I had my brothers. But I just never really did that. I'm not speaking from experience is what I'm saying. This disclaimer, I'm just saying that 
when you take a drug the first time, you get high, it's like you're high. And then after that, you just have to take more and more and more to get the same. And you know, the same is true with many of the things we're talking about. So some things that began as luxuries are, are now necessities, and you can't live without them. You must have them. Here's what's happened. You grow to over-desire them. Say, unless I have that, I won't be content. Jesus said, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Here's our problem. Greed's one of those invisible sins. You don't see it happening in you. And when you're on that greed road with other people in your family or people you love, you don't even see it. Like, it's easier to see lust and anger and things like that. I mean, you know, uh, somebody has said, and I think that's true, no one ever came into my office and said, Pastor, I'm struggling with greed. <laughs> you know, they'll say, I have a problem with lust, <laughs> not with greed. You know, nobody's ever come in and says, I'm just so greedy. I just don't know what to do. Um, so that's a problem, that, 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 that things that, that uh, were seen as luxuries, they're necessities now. And you just, you're always going up. You always have to have more. And then number three, money can become the sole, your sole source of security. Too many people think this. They think, if I have enough money, then I'll feel secure. I'll be secure. I'll feel safe. Paul tells us, notice he says, not to trust in money, which is so unreliable. Money can provide a certain level of security and freedom, but it's not reliable. Paul says, it's, it's just not reliable. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What are all these things? Food, clothing, shelter. Those are the things that will be added. Um, the writer of Proverbs says this, Trust in your money and down you go, but the godly flourish like leaves in spring. And that's the problem with money. And that, but that's what the, but our culture says. The more you have, the more secure you'll be. And it's, it's, it's a treadmill, man. You get tired of running on, on it after a while. And some of you have fallen off the treadmill. And you found that contentment has nothing to do with how much I have in the bank. Or what kind of car I drive, or what kind of clothes I wear, or what kind of house I live in. The Bible says, tells us that wise people trust in God, not their riches. Well, well, how do we escape this trap? How do we escape this contentment trap, the money trap? Well, the first thing is you find your contentment, your joy, your life in Jesus. Paul says, godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. He says, you want to really be well, wealthy? You'll find it with godliness and contentment. The ability to be content in any circumstance, this is real wealth. That's a hard thing to do. Your inner peace does not need to be driven by your outward circumstances. We've talked about this a little bit over the last few weeks. That your circumstances don't have to dictate your inner, how you're doing inner, whether you have peace or whether you have joy, whether you have hope. Your circumstances, your outward circumstances don't have to do that. You can be content in, in the midst of a storm. You can, be, you can smile in a storm, in the storms of life. And, and essentially that's where the wealth is. Wealth is when you could smile in the storms of life. When they come, you still smile. And it's not this, I'm, I'm denying this is happening in my life. It's not that. It's saying, 
even though this is happening, I still have joy. I still have hope. I'm still content. Paul basically kind of goes in and says, you know, I've been beaten. I've been left for dead. I've been, <laughs> I've been shipwrecked. But I've been content. Sometimes I've had a lot. Sometimes I've had, not had enough. But I've been content through all of that. My, in other words, he's saying, I, I'm able to smile in the storms of life. So where do you get the security and satisfaction? Well, if you rely on money and other things to feel safe and secure, when they're threatened, you'll be filled with fear and anxiety. And you'll know the minute that whatever it is, it could be your, your bank account balance, it could be your job, it could be whatever it is. But when that is threatened, you'll, you'll feel insecurity, you'll feel fear, you'll feel, you'll feel uh, anxiety when that is threatened. Worldly wealth is not the way to find peace, security, and contentment. It isn't. And that's essentially what Paul's saying to Timothy in the passage we're looking at. If you look at wealth, it's not going to do it. It does work to a certain extent until it doesn't. And then you realize, I just built everything on a foundation that just fell through. Now what do I do? You... You can be so secure that you smile in the midst of a storm. And the secret of contentment, Paul says this. He says, and this is another verse that's taken out of context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And what Paul's saying here is, my contentment is found in Christ. doesn't matter what the world does. I can do all things because Christ is my source of contentment. And you remember that your names are written in heaven. They're engraved. That you'll live forever. You remind yourself that you're his son and daughter. You begin to see who you are in Christ. That you're, you're, you're the daughter of the king. You're the son of the king. You're the king of kings and lord of lords. That Jesus came and gave his life for you. And you begin to look at how much you're loved by him. And, you, and when Jesus says... Why do you worry about what you shall eat or what you shall wear? Uh, look at the birds of the field. They don't have barns, but yet I take care of them. Look at the, the, the flowers of the field. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. If I take care of them, won't I take care of you? And then he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Jonathan Edwards uh, was a Reformed Puritan preacher in 1720. I came across this sermon. He wrote this sermon when he was 18 years old. I hate him so much. Um, he preached a sermon, and it, it was called Christian Happiness, and it had three points. And I'm going to give you his three points of his sermon. Um, and it basically is, it, it answers the question, why should we, or how do, how do we become content? How do we find happy contentment? Uh, and why should we be happy? Um, number one, uh, your bad things turn out for good. Your bad things. So if God is for you, then even the bad things of this world, which he hates, sin, suffering, pain, brokenness, will not wreck you. Paul says in Romans 8, 28, that's what he says, uh, uh, that God is going to work all things out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So it's not for everyone, but it's for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That God will find a way to walk with you through it. Even the bad things can have, a, have good effects on your life. So that's, so, that, so that's the first point of sermon. Your bad things turn out for good. Secondly, your good things can never be taken away from you. Your good things can never be taken away. Your house, your car, your 
all those things can be taken away, but your good things. That you're adopted. And what are those good things? You're adopted in the family of God. The Holy Spirit is active in your life. You're being transformed into his new masterpiece. These are far greater than any of your aspirations. You've been adopted. You've been justified. You've been, you're going through the process of sanctification. There's going to be a resurrection. We'll talk about that at your funeral, the resurrection, right? Glorification. There's a glorification. All those are not going to be taken away. Those are things that you have. So the good things can never be taken away. They're secure in, 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 in heaven. And, and then number three, the best is yet to come. Paul says, I've learned how to live in all situations, whether good or bad. And many of them, as I said before, shipwrecks, being beaten, left for dead, um, all these different things. Uh, he faced death. He faced torture. <laughs> this guy was beat up routinely. And he says, I've been content through all of it. Now, if we were to script our life, we wouldn't script it that way. We'd say, okay, I've got to script my life, so I don't want any conflict. I don't want any problems. I want all my kids to grow up and to be good, decent, loving, nice communicators to me and, and everyone else. And uh, I don't want... That's not the way it works. When you think about it, if you boil it all down, what's the worst thing that this world can do to you? Probably an early, tragic, early in your view, whatever that may be, tragic, painful death. Right? That's probably, if there was one thing we'd say, well, that's it. That's the worst news we could ever get. I love what uh, George, Herbert poet, uh, George Herbert the poet said. He said, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel made death just the gardener. Paul wrote, oh, death, where is your sting? In other words, Paul's saying, death is no longer something I fear. Why? Because death means that I'm on the other side in heaven, and I live forever, and I live out the dream where Jesus says in John 14, and I, I read this passage to a guy today who probably doesn't have much time with us, and I read John 14, and Jesus says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you that where I am, you will be also. So Paul can say, where's your sting, death? Where is it? Show it to me. He's almost mocking death. See, we direct our desires to Him. We let Him be our ultimate source of security, satisfaction, and significance. We remember that we're His son and daughter, that He will provide for us, that He cares for us. It's already been settled. You say, well, how do I you know? How do you know that He cares for me? Right? Could He do anything more? Greater love than, than, has no one than this that He laid down His life. Well, He's done that. So desire Him, desire more of Him, and He will fill your heart. That's, that's essentially what it comes down to. So, you know, we're in this rat race we call the American dream, and probably nobody in this room is achieving that. And even when you do achieve it, it's not everything that you thought it was going to be. But contentment doesn't come from having more or getting more. And we've got to stop thinking that way. It doesn't have to be bigger and better. Contentment comes in, from godliness and looking to Christ and remembering who we are in Christ 
the things that we've been given, the things that can never be taken away, knowing that He has a plan and purpose for our lives. And when we begin to look at our life that way, we look at everything and we say, you know what? There's a storm coming this week, but I can smile because I've got an eternal hope. And the worst this world could do is just send me into that hope. And I'm okay with that. So, more, more, more is not the answer. Jesus is. Remember who He is. Remember what He's done for you. Remember how much He cares for you. And when you, when you do that, when you begin to look at the cross and just embrace His love for you, you'll find the contentment this Christmas season. Again, you know, the presence, you know, I just, I want this and I want this. Okay, I get all that. I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of it. I'm in this culture too, just like you are. I'm one of the fish in the bowls talking to the rest of the fish. Okay, I get that. But there is a point where we have to stop and say, what are we doing here? And may we look for contentment in Christ. Because when we look there, we'll never be disappointed. Stand with me. Let's pray. So, Father... This is easy to say. It's hard. We understand the concept, but it's hard for us because we're, we're living in a world where we're driven. And we're told these things. And we see that to a certain extent they do work. But then when, when it all comes crumbling down, we're left just beside ourselves. When the wealth or the, the health or whatever is gone, we go, now what? And the answer is you. You're in the midst of the storm. You've given us the hope that goes beyond the grave. You've given us uh, so many gifts that can never be taken away from us. You're making us into your masterpiece. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You've done so much for us. You've given us forgiveness, salvation, justification, sanctification. All these things, Father. May we not fall into this trap of allowing things that we see, we used to see as necessities. Now they're <laughs> we, we, we look at the luxuries that we, 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 we would have looked at it and now we say those are no, no longer luxuries, those are necessities. Some of us maybe have become independent. And we, we say, I can do it. I don't need you, Lord. And, and help us to see just that money, the pursuit of that, can, can certainly bring us a level of contentment, but it also can bring us to a place where we fall away. We stop trusting you. We stop looking to you. We stop needing you. May we wake up every day just amazed at the gift of life you've given us for today, the gift of breath, the, the pulse that our heart beats. And may we thank you and say every day is a gift and we will find our contentment knowing that we are far more blessed materially than any other people in the world. And may we carry that to our hearts, Father, and use it for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.